This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Monday, December the 5th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today... We'll have a look at what's making news with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig. We'll talk about some of the issues facing children's hospitals in eastern Ontario and Alberta. We'll also look ahead to the UN Biodiversity Summit that's taking place this week in Montreal. Equity gap in Canada. A new report will... You'll also hear from Kim Thistle with a film review, a holiday film review, as it is indeed holiday film season. And Ryan Delahanty stops by the show as well with the Atlantic Regional Report. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and it's economy and cost of living kind of stuff for you. The latest edition of Canada's Food Price Report predicts food prices will continue to rise in the new year. Karen Rebo has the numbers. Dalhousie University professor and lead author Sylvain Charlebois says food inflation will remain stubbornly high in the first half of the year before it begins to ease. For the average family of four, that means groceries will cost nearly $16,300 for the whole of 2023. That's almost $1,100 more than this year. Within the grocery store, vegetables are expected to see the biggest price hike. Charlebois calls produce the wild card. The U.S. has been struggling with dry conditions and bacterial contaminations, and a weaker Canadian dollar could also make importing goods like lettuce more expensive. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. So that's the food side of cost of living. Well, what about energy and oil? Well, a major decision came down yesterday from OPEC oil-producing countries. They've decided to maintain the amount of energy they are exporting. That decision should keep gas prices stable or even cause a drop in energy costs. Patrick DeHaan is the head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. He was surprised by the decision. The decision over the weekend by OPEC not to extend or not to raise production cuts um, is uh, somewhat of a surprise. Maybe some good news for consumers. A price cap of $60 per barrel on Russian oil exports by the EU, Canada and other G7 countries goes into effect today. Let's turn to some different news. I've been all over the volcanic eruption in Hawaii while there's been a major volcanic eruption in Indonesia that has buried homes and caused widespread damage. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. The event saw thick columns of ash, more than 5,000 feet high, spew into the sky. Villagers in Kanjakuning village have been busy recovering domestic items and rescuing livestock. One, Siamsul Arafin, says he's afraid to see this situation and afraid if another eruption was to happen. Improved weather conditions are allowing rescuers to resume evacuation efforts and a search for possible victims. After the highest volcano in Indonesia's most densely populated island erupted, I'm Charles de Ledesma. And meanwhile, the eruption at Hawaii's Mauna Loa is presenting a unique opportunity for researchers. Chuck Sievertson explains. 
It's the first eruption of the world's biggest active volcano since 1984. The ability to study what's going on both under the ground and on the surface is much greater than, than it was in 1984. University of Hawaii geologist Scott Rowland. There are lots more seismometers, lots more tilt meters. I mean, GPS was not available. Satellite interferometry was not available. Lava's within three miles from an important roadway. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. Let's get to our daily poll. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. I am not surprised by the result of Friday's poll, but here they are. Are banking fees too high in Canada? 100% of you said yes, and 0% of you said no. I had a tingling sense as old populist Dave Brown over here that that's how the numbers were going to come back, and I guess... uh, No employees of major banks infiltrated the voting on the poll. The VP of RBC didn't uh, make their way in to try and uh, skew some of these results. Populism wins out again. Today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. As a tourist, would you visit an active volcano? Yes, no, or I already have. Of course, as I've been sharing the story about the Mauna Loa eruption in Hawaii, I reported to you on Friday that hotel rooms in the Hilo area, the Hilo region, have been totally booked up as people want to see the lava and see the volcano. And of course, there are plenty of other places all over Hawaii where you can actually walk through national parks that are volcano national parks. It's super interesting. You can get very close. If you go over to some of the volcanoes in Italy, you can actually have lunch at a cafe at the ledge of a volcano. I feel like you're really tempting fate at that point. I'm much closer to the I do not want to visit volcanoes as a tourist, despite a little bit of fascination. I just know that I'm naturally clumsy and afraid of heights. So I would be the person who falls into the lava. That's, I, I just know me. I know who I am. I know how I be. So I'm going to vote a strong no on this one, despite, despite, at the very least, some curiosity. Alex Smythe, what about you? Oh, hands down, Dave. I, I want to go see an active volcano. I mean, there's few things on Earth that you allow you to get as close to just raw power and energy of how our Earth functions without potentially having any dire consequences as a result of it. I mean, you a volcano, for the most part, will be relatively self-contained, as we've been seeing with the Mauna Loa uh, eruption. You know, no one has really been in its path as, as of yet. But there is the potential that volcanoes can also be very destructive, as you you kind of highlighted with the uh, news story out of India with the with the latest eruption. So I would love to be able to do one as long as it's something that has already erupted, I guess, because like once that first major eruption happens, the the chances of it, you know, being a, a major consequential eruption following that. It's far less. So if it was like going to see Mauna Loa, uh, Mauna Loa, I would love to, or potentially some of the ones over in, in Iceland, which are just kind of always constantly going. To me, it's just so fascinating. I do agree with you, Dave. I'm not going to get too close to the edge. I'm not I'm not tempting fate and going to slide in and be like, well, that's how, how he goes in, into the mouth of a volcano. Yeah, I don't want to be uh, losing the game of Darwin Olympics by walking too close to the ledge of a volcano. Alex, you mentioned raw power that you can only experience in certain places on Earth. 
I would suggest going to the gym with Jeff Ryman is an opportunity to see unmasked, unrivaled raw power. And uh, Jeff joins us this morning in the audio control room. Uh, Jeff, beyond, of course, your own prowess at the gym, how would you feel about visiting an active volcano? Yeah, I would love to visit an active volcano. Uh, Two reasons. I think uh, Alex sort of hit it a little bit in just the raw power um, something similar, but very different at the same time, Niagara Falls. If you've been, um, they have a tour where you can go behind the falls mm. and you get really close and you can feel it. Like you're, you're obviously not in the falls, but you can feel like the earth just shaking around you. And it's, it, it sort of gives you an adrenaline rush. So I it's, think it's stunning how loud yes. Niagara Falls yeah. are as you're near the falls. Cause I've also been near the falls. It's so loud yeah yeah i mean you can feel it like you can hear it you can feel it it's really cool it gives you that adrenaline rush so i think that would sort of give me another sort of adrenaline rush but this would be a volcano um so i'm gonna say yes but only if it's safe to do so heavy emphasis on the safety part um whether that is like alex mentioned if it's already erupted then maybe it's a little bit safer then. Um, I'd assume that you might have to wear a gas mask if you get really close to the center or you know the peak of the mountain of, of the volcano uh, because it might be emitting some uh, natural gases that aren't so pleasant for the human mm-hmm, body. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second reason that I would like to go see this um, is I've always been obsessed with human nature and like weather and the environment. And I think it would just be such a cool experience to go. And obviously there's not really many volcanoes in our neck of the woods here. Um, you know, exploring the world would be really cool too. You know, you don't have to go, you don't have to go too, too far though, Jeff. There's uh, there's places like Yellowstone. There's all kinds yeah. of spots in the Caribbean and Central America where you could go. It's not too far down the down the pathway to uh, go see some volcanoes. Only only a few thousand kilometers. Just a couple thousand, which, which is the way I like it. It's <laughs> the way I like it. It keeps us nice and safe, a good distance from some of those volcanoes. That's the way, that's the way we play it over here. Jeff, thank you for this one. I appreciate your thoughts on that one. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. If you vote, I already have. I would very much encourage you to get involved in the comments section or to reply to the tweets and maybe tell us which volcano you went to see. If you have a picture of you at the volcano or you with some lava, that would be pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, if you vote, I already have and are an avid volcano traveler. I want to hear all about it. I want to hear all about it, and I promise I will not mock you, at least not publicly. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather updates. Here's your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there is rain off and on today and a high of four degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny and a high of two degrees. Montreal, Quebec. There's clouds clearing out this morning and it will become mainly sunny in the afternoon. The high there is six degrees. To Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is five, but with wind chill, it'll feel more like minus seven. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is 5 degrees, but with that wind chill, it's more like minus 10 degrees. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow snow flurries throughout the day. 
Minus four is the high, but with the wind chill, it's minus 16. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, there's snow in the morning, and then they'll be clearing up as the day goes on. There is also possible blowing snow in some areas. The high is minus 19, but with the wind chill, it's minus 30. To Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's mainly sunny with clouds and snow expected later on in the day. The high is minus 20, but with the wind chill, it also feels like minus 30. To Calgary, Alberta, there's snow expected today with up to two centimeters falling. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, and the high is minus eight, but again, that wind chill makes it feel like minus 19. Over to Edmonton, Alberta, it's increasing cloudiness with snow expected late morning and early afternoon. Then it will be just overcast. The high is minus 13, and with that wind chill, it'll feel like minus 28. In Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow in the morning, and then it will clear, and then you'll just have more of that mix of sun and the clouds. The high is minus 30, but that wind chill makes it feel like minus 45. Over to BC now, and we'll start with Vancouver. It's sunny in the morning, and there is a high of two degrees, but again, they're still dealing with that cold wind chill weather that'll make it feel like minus nine. And finally, Vict uh, Victoria, BC. It's mainly cloudy, but it'll clear near noon. The high is minus three, uh, the high is plus three, sorry, but with that wind chill, it feels like minus six. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, we'll talk about some of the issues facing children's hospitals in eastern Ontario and Alberta with Michelle McQuig, weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's catch up on what's going on in the news with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Michelle, let's start with a story that's been bubbling for some time, and that's significant strain on children's hospitals. Over the weekend, mm -hmm. we had a couple different stories come from a few different places. Let's begin in eastern Ontario at CHEO, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa. What's going on at CHEO? A lot is going on at CHEO, as is the case with children's hospitals everywhere in Canada, as I think will become pretty clear by the time we're done with this one. Uh, what we're about to describe is not isolated to any one region or province even. Uh, CHEO has been under a lot of strain with a wave of pediatric illnesses for quite some time. They've had to open another emergency room, redeploy a lot of staff. Uh, cancel some elective appointments and surgeries and all kinds of measures. And yet they're still struggling under a massive wave of illnesses. And so as of uh, this coming week, the Red Cross is actually going to be coming in to help, which is a very unusual move for a domestic situation like this. What are staff having to say about the prospect of the Red Cross uh, working in the hospital? Uh, well, the, the hospital wasn't offering a whole lot of comment over the weekend. Uh, I think there's a certain degree of, of welcome for the fact that there's going to be some relief happening. Uh, they're saying that the Red Cross will be able to come and offer some clinical support, which might allow some staff to return to their original positions since they've been redeployed to deal with this massive surge. 
but the fact is that everyone has just been going all out for, for mm. weeks now. It's been at least a month, uh, probably closer to two, in fact, that there's been a, a massive wave of children's illnesses. And it's a, it's a triple threat. There, there's three things contributing. There's COVID, of course. There's a seasonal flu. And there's also a bit of an outbreak of RSV going around. Mm-hmm. So it's those three in, in, in combination uh, that are really driving this particular wave, not just at Chio, but everywhere else, too. Yeah, the RSV is just ripping through daycares right now. And it's ripping oh, yeah. through households as a result. A few of my friends got wiped out for almost a month uh, with the RSV, which is uh, oh. pretty, pretty intense. Uh, Mich- I, I don't know any parents who haven't gotten dinged with this one, either with themselves or their kids yeah, uh, over the past month. Al- like almost it. any kid that's in daycare is 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 bringing something back. I know I was I was hanging out with some parents on the weekend who said uh, their sons had three viruses in the last 12 weeks, which is uh, pretty, pretty intense. Oh. Uh, uh, now, Michelle, as you mentioned, this is not just isolated to the eastern Ontario region or anywhere in particular. There was also some jarring news coming out of Alberta for their children's hospital in Calgary. There was, and this one, yeah. Um, So both the children, the the primary children's hospitals in in Alberta, both of them in Edmonton and Calgary, have been operating at or over capacity for, for at least a few weeks, just like everywhere else. Um, and over, uh, it was late on Friday that the Alberta Health Services, the, the government department responsible for such things, announced that they were going to be redeploying and almost effectively shutting down temporarily uh, Children's Palliative Care and Respite Centre so that the staff could be redeployed there to help out at the Children's Hospital in Calgary. Uh, they're still going to be providing services, but any of them are going now going to be temporarily relocated to the hospital itself to have the staff on site. They're pausing new admissions. Uh, this is uh, not a move that will go over very well in Alberta. It's a, a sign of how desperate that is because this is a dedicated children's palliative care centre. Uh, but that's what they felt they've had to do in order to maintain some capacity at the uh, at the Children's Hospital in Calgary. Michelle, let's shift gears here from uh, disease and hospital strain to something happening in Montreal, a really neat UN Biodiversity Summit that's taking place in Montreal, somewhat by surprise. Uh, that was not the initial plan. Bit, yeah. But but Michelle, <laughs> it's, it starts tomorrow. Let, let's look ahead to what's on the agenda at this Biodiversity Summit. Sure. Well, you're right, Dave. This was something that kind of came together. It wasn't even supposed to necessarily be in Canada. China technically is in charge of the biodiversity uh, aspect of, of the climate change efforts at, at the UN. They were supposed to host this. But uh, as we talked about a bit on Friday, they have very stringent COVID policies in place, and those rules would have not made it impossible for them to host this and welcome the hundreds and thousands of, of delegates from around the world that are expected to pour in for this. So uh, since... Montreal is the home of the UN Biodiversity Secretariat. That's where this conference is going to be held. So you have a number of delegates and organizations pouring in to discuss biodiversity. No world leaders per se. Uh, Justin Trudeau will be there tomorrow to offer some opening remarks. But uh, beyond that, no other world leaders, just environment ministers are going to be mm-hmm. attending from around the world. So that's that's a bit of a, a, a dimension we can come back to if you like. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot on the table to discuss and a number of goals they want to achieve. But the bottom line is that the the, the hope is that there's going to be a consensus similar to the Paris Accord of 2015 with the end game of protecting 30% of the world's lands and oceans. <laughs> Whatever that means precisely is, uh, is is a little bit up for debate. But yes, that's, that's the As number. As ever with any of these COP conferences. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the number they've come with. Yeah, Michelle, I, I think it's worth noting that maybe there is going to be a lack of world leaders here. 
here, but it's not all the way uncommon at some of these COP conferences. For example, certainly in Cairo a couple of weeks ago, we saw that there was some presence of world leaders, but really only for a day or two. And otherwise, it was a lot of bureaucrats, a lot of top-level environment bureaucrats who will attend these kinds of events. The, the people who have the expertise to, to make the decisions or, or bring them home. That's very true. And there's a couple of schools of thought on this. And some people, I'm sure, will feel that not having the world leaders there to distract with their presence and the, the sort of pomp and circumstance that comes with that is, might be a good thing. Others uh, is even in have already gone public, <clears throat> in fact, saying that they see this as a bit of a concern, that sometimes having the world leaders there offers negotiators a bit of an extra push to get things done rather than quibbling over details. But uh with these competing schools of thought, I guess we'll have to see what happens. It's difficult. It's always a bit difficult to quantify the outcomes of these uh, of these conferences, mm -hmm. uh, especially when they have so many uh, points to discuss with so many different parties. But they are going to be there for the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we're going to protect a third of the world's lands and oceans. We don't know which lands and oceans yet, but we're going to protect a third of them. Well, we'll decide who gets to be protected. Uh, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm sorry. I should be, I should be more, <laughs> I should okay. be more earnest in the way I talk about these things. Uh, Michelle, let's move on to one more story here. And this isn't necessarily breaking news. We knew a couple of weeks ago that the Girl Guides of Canada were going to change the name of their brownies age group to something different. Michelle, yes. we finally know what the options are going to be that are being put forward to a vote for members. We sure do. Uh, little girls who are going to be joining the younger guiding program in the years to come will be called either embers or comets. Those are the two names that the girl guides narrowed it down to. And uh, th those two names have now gone out to the membership for a vote. Uh, they've got another week or so to cast a ballot for this, and they're going to be announcing the results next month. I feel like Comets is going to win, but I like the name Embers. I think there's something about I Ember that like you. really fits. I, I agree with this. So the guides provided a rationale behind these two names. I don't know any of the back uh, the discussions that, or other contenders that were on the the short list, but with these two, uh, they're saying they pick Comets because, and, and I'm quoting their language here. They say they they. Uh, Basically, they capture attention as they as they travel through space, boldly blazing a new trail. And the rationale behind embers in their language was that they are small and have the potential to cause a powerful flame. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on embers, I have to say, but uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, interesting, too, to note why they're considering a change like this. Uh, they wanted to drop the name brownies because of the name and the connotation for racialized uh, members of the community. So they wanted to come up with a name that was perhaps a little more inclusive. And next, we're gonna we're gonna change to vote to change my last name to Comet or Ember, David Comet or David Ember, just because you know brown brown can be perceived the wrong way. Uh, Michelle, so long as they keep selling cookies, they can call themselves whatever they want. Fair enough. But if <laughs> Take <laughs> note, you got a good, good order at Don Mills and Lawrence, guys. Yeah, you yeah there you go. Exactly. Hey, if they want to line them up outside, I'll buy from every single one of them. I love those, especially the maple the vanilla cookies. The mint chocolate cookies. ones are the best. Oh, oh yeah. I haven't tried those. Well, well uh, you know, like when you would buy the typical traditional box, it would have chocolate on one side and like the vanilla yeah. on the other side. Now they got a maple one? Well, I, 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 just, I just call it maple vanilla. I, it's probably just vanilla vanilla. <laughs> See, I'm a sucker for the mint chocolate ones. Those the, are great. You can always sell me on mint chocolate as well. Hey, Michelle, thank you for this. We will talk to you on Friday for the news panel. I think we're going to do a little bit of a year in review. 
All right. Well, I look forward to it. Have a great week, Dave. That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. The reason why we'll end up doing a year in review on Fridays, because Friday is going to be our last live show of 2022. No, we are not being canceled, although I'm sure some of you wish we were some days. We are taking a little bit of a hiatus because we have some new technology brewing around the office and around the AMI headquarters that includes a new control room and a new studio for me. So after this week, this should be the last week that I'll be here in the comfy confines of air-conditioned Studio 5. But yes, we will be taking almost a month off while we're doing a little bit of testing here. So there will be no live TV show. There will be no podcast, as we'll be doing a lot of work behind the scenes. That starts next Monday. No live show. We are coming back, though, Monday. January the 9th of 2023, we should be back in full force in a brand new studio. And uh, there's going to be more of my body shown on camera. So I'm going to be doing a lot of sit-ups here for the next four weeks to try and uh, undo some of the damage and not horrify all of you when you catch me on AMI TV on January the 9th. So yeah, that's just my way of saying last live show of the year coming up this Friday. So don't panic if you tune in next Monday and there's no Dave Brown. We're all good. We're not canceled. We're just working on something new. It's exciting times. Coming up next, Greg David will tell you about AMI-audio's new radio play, Seen and Not Heard. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index closed lower on Friday. Toronto's TSX index lost 39 points to close at 20,485. New York's Dow Jones average gained 34 points and the Nasdaq slipped 20. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index rose 42 points. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.49 cents U.S. Asian shares were higher today and oil prices have also risen about a buck after the European Union, Canada and the other G7 countries began imposing a $60 U.S. per barrel price cap and a ban on some types of Russian oil. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be in the southwestern Ontario town of Ingersoll this afternoon, east of London, to announce a milestone in electric vehicle manufacturing. Ingersoll is home to the General Motors Cami production plant, which GM announced in April would be retooled by year's end into Canada's first full-scale commercial electric vehicle production facility. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. This show is an interesting game of musical chairs and occasionally Jenga. You got to move pieces around to make it all work. One of the best pieces of the puzzle is Greg David. And he's one of the most agreeable pieces of the puzzle as he stops by to talk about what's going on around AMI because he is indeed one of our excellent communication specialists. Say good morning, Greg. Hey. Uh, Greg, sorry, we had you on mute there. I I missed missed your your, your greetings. Oh, I just said happy Monday. Oh, happy Monday indeed to you, sir. It was not just a happy Monday, but a happy tail end of last week, Greg, as AMI was honored by the American Council of the Blind. What did we get some hardware for? 
Yeah, this is a very, very cool. Uh, it was on November the 3rd, and this is the second annual Audio Description Awards Gala held by, as you said, the American Council of the Blind. And AMI was feted uh, for Outstanding Achievement in International Media. And uh, just basically the, the during the broadcast, they just fed the fact that we provide all of this content with described video and integrated described video, uh, cr uh, creating shows specifically with the blind and partially sighted uh, community in mind starring in the shows and uh, you know in front of and behind the camera as well so uh, it was great to to uh, to accept the award uh, David Arrington our CEO and president accepted the award on behalf of AMI so it's always great to be obviously you know we're, we're it's nice to be recognized we don't go out looking for recognition at least you know I don't but it's great to know that what we're doing is is uh, garnering international uh, recognition for sure yeah and that, and that really speaks to a lot of the great work that you you and our colleagues on the digital side are doing to make sure that it's not just what gets aired on TV here in Canada, coast to coast on cable, but making sure that the podcasts are available, the YouTube clips mm -hmm. are available, the, the app is all uploaded. It really speaks to the hard work that you and your colleagues are doing on your side of the biz. Yeah, thanks. I mean, we we try really hard, and it's it's wonderful to again to be recognized. We don't look for that recognition, but it's it's awesome when we get it, and yeah. it shows that AMI. It just shows that all of us, Dave, you included, everybody behind the scenes at AMI, it, we're all headed in the same direction, and it's the right direction. Greg, let's talk about some of the programming that we're rolling out here. One of the things that's always cool around this time of year is AMI Audio will endeavor into some radio plays. We did a couple Christmas plays the last few years. Mm -hmm. Well, this year we've got a new play called Seen and Not here heard an original piece so give me a little bit of insight into this play yeah, sure. Happy to. So this is created by Caroline Minx. And uh, actually, uh, the the head of AMI Audio, Andy Frank, ran into Caroline at a, a podcast uh, conference. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she was pitching this play that she had created called Seen and Not Heard. And uh, it's a slice of life story that follows a character named Bette Klein, a young woman attempting to redirect her life after an illness has left her with sudden and significant hearing loss. And though she faces difficulties from trying to learn a new language to attempting to stay connected to her loved ones, despite her new barriers, she finds ways to accept her circumstances and face the challenging road ahead. And again, this is kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about with the AMI mandate. Not only are we covering, you know, uh, telling the stories of the blind and partially sighted community, but the disability community overall. And uh, we're, we're meeting that with Seen and Not Heard, which tells the story of a, of a character who is deaf and, and hard of hearing. I don't know about you, Greg, but I've always been a big fan of the radio play as a format. Yeah. I think that there's something about it that's really intimate and really interesting. This is going mm. to be a really cool broadcast. When is it hitting the airwaves? So you can listen to the to Seen and Not Heard on Saturday, December the 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. So again, Saturday, December the 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And is there going to be anything available in terms of a, a post-broadcast for folks to get their ears on it? Unfortunately not. So this is the oh, time to listen okay. to it. This is an exclusive. So mark it in your calendar. Make a note of it. Send yourself a voice message Saturday, December the 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, and it's called Seen and Not Heard. A special engagement. You see, yes. there's no getting around this one. Make sure there's no Christmas shopping to be done on Saturday the 17th because you got to listen to this play at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Greg, speaking of a lot of fun content around the holidays. Last time you were here when I was on vacation, you and Alex Smythe were talking about your favorite, the best holiday TV specials and episodes of all time. Well, this time we're actually jumping in 
to the facts, the raw facts of when mm. people can start checking these things out. So we're jumping into the schedule. So I think we've got a couple here that are going to be all over the place, but Santa Claus is coming to town and Dr. Seuss, how the Grinch stole Christmas. What are those coming down the pipeline? It's really interesting. I just wanted to preface this a little bit because usually November, Thanksgiving in the U.S. is kind of the day when after that all the holiday programming kicks off. But really the holiday programming has been on in the last couple, like the week before even mm-hmm. Christmas, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. CBC was broadcasting these things. Um, but um, the classic Rankin and Bass creation, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, is going to air uh, next Thursday, December the 8th on ABC, and then again on Tuesday, December the 20th. And this is one of the classics. I mean, I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but I also love Santa Claus is Coming to Town because this is the story of Kris Kringle, the purported story of Kris Kringle as he, you know, uh, goes from a redhead to a white-haired guy with uh, with a big <laughs> beard. He goes from being really skinny to the the the, the you know the the size of the the gentleman that he is today. And uh, it really is one of those real holiday classics that gets me into the Christmas spirit. So again, that'll be uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town is going to be uh, December the 8th on ABC. And then the other one, this is what I was telling Alex a couple of weeks ago. This one, this the next one is my absolute favorite of all time. Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah, same. Yeah, Friday, December the twenty third on NBC with Boris Karloff telling the story of the Grinch and and the and the little Who's in Whoville. It, you know, it really isn't Christmas until I've uh, you know either checked it out on television or actually listened to it. We have it on CD, and we can listen to it on the on the big stereo here when we want to get into the Christmas spirit. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, there there have been a couple of great iterations of the Grinch over the years, but definitely the uh, the original animated series is just sort of beyond the the rest mm-hmm. of them. It stands it stands head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, Greg, there's of course a very famous Christmas movie, which is It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. When are these two big ones coming down the pipeline? Yeah, so in both cases, It's a Wonderful Life is being broadcast on Saturday, December the 24th on NBC, and uh, Miracle on 34th Street is going to be Saturday, December the 24th as well on CTV. And, uh, you know, for the It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra classic starring Jimmy Stewart, uh, the, you know, the It's a Wonderful Life or sorry, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, the classic story of Santa being taken to court. Uh, Two great classic black and white movies are available on TV in the next uh, couple of weeks. You mentioned the musical side of The Grinch. Well, we're not just limited to the soundtracks of animated movies or other movies. There are some musical specials that are also going to be taking a, a point of prominence. So Mariah Carey, Dolly Parton, the Backstreet Boys, how are they getting involved in these musical specials? Yeah, this is a genre, Dave, that has really grown over the last few years, and I've kind of been missing it. I, I always go for these classic episodes in movies because those really connect with my childhood, but the musical specials have really become huge. So the Backstreet Boys have got one called A Very Backstreet Holiday, which is coming up on Friday, December the 14th on ABC. Mariah Carey is back on December uh, Tuesday, December the 20th on NBC with a special that she filmed in New York's Madison Square Garden that finishes with her, her singing her uh, uh, the perennial favorite, oh, all I want for course. Christmas is you. Of course. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dolly Parton is back with a new musical special on Friday, December the 23rd called Dolly Parton's Christmas of Many Colors, Circle of Love. It's just crazy the amount of stuff that is available now from, uh, you know, the, the these musical stars. Michael Bublé has got one that will be repeating on CTV in the coming weeks. So, yeah, musicals, uh, you know, you go over to PBS and their old, uh, some of their classic concerts are available uh, as well for holiday programming. The musical is, is a huge, huge genre when it comes to the holiday. Greg, I don't know if you ever were a fan of the Bare Naked Ladies, the Canadian rock band, Mm -hmm. but a couple years ago, and when I say a couple because I'm now actually a fossil, I mean like 15 (laughs) years ago, they were doing a a Christmas tour that I went to at Théâtre Saint-Denis in Montreal, and it was just amazing. It's amazing to see people who we don't necessarily think of as sort of folksy folksy Christmas folks mm-hmm. saying, you know what, we're going to play a couple of our hits, but we also want to give you a Christmas concert because we are into the spirit of the season. It's, it's neat to see people do that. And let me tell you right now, Dolly Parton, I'm going to watch that. I, I support all things Dolly. Yeah, yeah, she's a, she's an amazing entertainer, and she's just on TikTok. She just joined TikTok over the weekend, so follow her over there on TikTok for the latest <laughs> on Dolly. What I love about her, not only like she she spans all genres of music, but she also has a great sense of humor. Yeah, she sure does. And she also mentioned that uh, after being inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, she made a rock album. She was like, yeah. you know what? You want to put me in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Then I'm going to make a rock and roll album. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Dolly Dolly doing it through and through, whether it's her philanthropic work, uh, building children's literacy, or whether it's uh, paying the university tuition of employees of Dolly World, she uh, she uh, wastes no time trying to help others. So yeah, I'm going to try to support this uh, Dolly show when it airs. Uh, Greg, just before the break, I was mentioning that now with Dave Brown and Kelly and company are going to be on a smidge of a hiatus starting Mm. next week through into the new year while we test some new studios and some new equipment, new control rooms. But what does AMI have planned over the holiday season on TV and the audio side? Well, we've got uh, we've got a couple of Murdoch Mysteries uh, Christmas episodes, which are always popular with our audience. Uh, Once Upon a Murdoch Christmas and will be uh, broadcast on Sunday, December the 11th. And then uh, the Jim Carrey feature film, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. We talked about you talked about the different iterations of that. The Jim Carrey movie, which I my partner and I, we went to see it in the movie theaters and it felt like we were the only people laughing during it. I don't know why that was. Maybe it's just like we just loved it. Anyway, check it out. It's going to be on AMI-TV on Sunday, December the 18th, and then again on Saturday, December the 14th. And then, uh, yeah, speaking uh, from the AMI-audio side, the uh, Kelly & Company Holiday Kitchen Party oh is my taking gosh. place yeah, December the 9th. So this Friday on AMI-audio between uh, between 2 and 4 p.m., it's become a, an annual favorite and an annual expectation. So the Kelling Company Holiday Christmas Party this Friday, December the 9th on AMI-audio between 2 and 4 p.m. Right on. Hey, Greg, I think this is the last time we're going to speak on air before the holidays. All the best to you and the family. Enjoy your time up there in beautiful Quebec. And we look forward to catching up with you again in the brand new year of 2023. Yeah, all the best to you as well, Dave. Thanks so much. That's Greg David, communication specialist for AMI. Coming up next, we keep the holiday spirit rolling when Kim Thistle reviews the Netflix holiday film Falling for Christmas. But first, the founder of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, he's speaking out. Dave Packer has more in Tech Trends.
Sam Bankman-Fried is facing accusations of improperly transferring customer funds between his crypto exchange FTX and Alameda Research, a cryptocurrency trading firm. Bankman-Fried denies any wrongdoing, but he admits he should have paid closer attention to both companies' balance sheets. I was CEO. I had a responsibility here. I had a responsibility to be on top of what was going on on the exchange. I wish I had done much better at that. Bankman-Fried also says any money that was moved between the companies was authorized. I mean, there were explicit mechanisms by which there was uh, allowed borrowing and and lending on the platform. Um, But I completely agree that it is, in general, like a huge warning flag. With Tech Trends, I'm Dave Packer, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. No matter how hard I try, everybody wants to talk about the holidays and Christmas. <laughs> I, You know, I, I guess we're just a couple weeks away, so I need to stop being a Grinch about it and just accept it. And that means that the barrage of holiday films are out, whether it be on Hallmark or Lifetime or Up TV or even Netflix. Well, Kim Thistle is here to review one of the new Netflix holiday movies. It's called Falling for Christmas. Hey, good morning, Kim. Good morning. I'm dressed in my, you know, obviously we are talking Christmas theme, so I have a reindeer antler type of thing on. I got the eyes, the nose, and my antlers, little antlers, a headband, and I'm wearing my ugly Christmas sweater. <laughs> Kim, Kim. I got to get into spirit, and I had no idea that it would probably tick you off. No, so. no, Kim, <laughs> it doesn't tick me off at all, because you know why? You are someone who authentically, genuinely loves the holidays. Every year yes. you've got like an elf hat or a reindeer hat or a Santa hat or an ugly Christmas sweater, and that's the kind of thing that fills me with joy. I don't mean to be a bah humbugging uh, Grinch of it all i i need to, i need to follow your lead uh kim before we start talking about this movie individually uh, you're you're a big fan of this genre right like the hallmark holiday movies the hallmark movies in general not that this yes. is a hallmark movie but nonetheless it's sort of in that genre you're a big fan of this genre aren't you yes i am i have to admit it it's a it's a hidden it's not a hidden secret anymore but boy oh boy yes i do love these mushy predictable you know, form, formalic, formal, you know, mm-hmm, like we know mm-hmm. the beginning, the end and oh, the boy meets girl and oh my goodness, are they going to be together? And yes, I enjoy that. I love everything about Christmas and it's Christmas everywhere. The decorations, like every <laughs> inch of a house is decorated. Every part of the set is decorated. So uh, yes, it is a guilty pre- pleasure. And one of the things is it, it, we get a kick out of it. My dear friend and I, when I live with her, you know, shortly, you know, after I moved out type of thing. And, and um, I lived with her and that was our thing. Every night we'd be watching a Hallmark movie and that got us through, I say, <laughs> because you just needed something that was so predictable. And we did so much laughing about, I wonder, are they going to get together? You know, like, <laughs> it was just our thing to get us through. So, yeah, I am. Uh, I do like the genre. There's some things that, you know, that I think could be improved if we're allowed. Like, like yes, they have assessed it. They have inclusion in the fact of, you know, diversity in cultures and and um, races. But between you and I, Dave Brown, and I, we need to talk about this in some way. I don't see anybody who's deaf. I don't mm-hmm. see any 
who visually impaired. I'm not seeing anyone who uses a wheelchair. Like, I think we need to even, you know, someone in the background being in the show like that. Like, they're good at, you know, they're always, you know, obligatory, you know, mixed race couple. I, I hate saying it that way, but they're in there. But we're us that we shop for Christmas and we go out for hot chocolate mm-hmm. and we like mm-hmm. a bit of break. <laughs> so... We got it. You got any pull that we can get into one of these movies? I actually do have a little bit of pull, if I'm being yes, totally I honest with you. So we need to get this going. I, I, I have actually a number of friends who work in the industry, both as actors and producers, and actually a couple uh, writing credits to their names as well of the uh, of the Hallmark uh, Holiday and the other Hallmark uh, related movies. So I actually do have a little bit of pull, and not to not to reveal too much here, Kim. I've actually spoken to a few of the writers about that about about uh, disability inclusion, uh, oftentimes off the record over a couple uh, over a couple beers uh, late at nights but uh it, you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd be actually you'd actually be uh very happy to know that it's something i have been working on uh from time to time with the very little bit of a pull that i have in that industry which is like none except that i know some people uh kim <laughs> you know? let, 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 let's let's get back to the sorry let, let, I, I love i love the little detour we just took but people do want to know about falling for christmas what right. is the story okay so it's um well she's a rich heiress I guess is the only way her father's a hotel magnet magnet and she you know she's very extremely wealthy doesn't have any direction in her life and it, you know is just her father making up a job for her so you know the wealthy magnet so it's along those lines of and and then she ends up um losing her memory and not remembering who she is so boy meets girl girl meets boy they fall for one another will they be together there's a conflict and then everything works out in the end. And I won't I tell you that because every Hallmark movie <laughs> yeah. works out in the end. And <laughs> Hallmark <laughs> movies Hallmark movies don't end like Requiem for a Dream. They're not devastating yeah. at the end. Exactly. So, and but, you know, it was a cute story. Lindsay Lohan is back into, you know, she hasn't been acting in 10 years. She was living in Dubai. A little bit of information got it. So they, they, they market this movie as, you know, Lindsay Lohan returning, you know, that mm. type of thing knows Lindsay Lohan she's it she was in Mean Girls and um oh gosh her Herbie mute movie you know Herbie with the uh, Volkswagen bug and the uh, Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis so she's returned Jack Wagner we see him in a lot of the Hallmark movies I think and he's a he's a soap opera star I'll call it like you know we probably know him from Bold and Beautiful Me from Melrose Place many many years ago Court Overstreet. I'm looking at this fellow and I think I've seen him before in the movie Glee. I don't know. The, the oh, TV wow. show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Glee, he, he got a beard now. Um, and George Young, I didn't know him, but he's, he's Tad, her her boyfriend and a British actor. And he's in the movie Malig- Maliglian and the little girl, Olivia Perez. So it's, you know, it was a sweet little cast and, and Lindsay Lohan, if she returned to movies and, you know, there's performances Typical Hallmark, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not yeah. much death that you had to do. You know, you cry when you need to. You get your 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 your, your water <laughs> build up in your eyes, and you know, they don't have corny lines. Yeah. They they know what they're doing. You you used the word formulaic before in this conversation. Yeah. Like they have a formula right to the point when you'll see right. the male lead take their shirt off for the first time. Like that is timed in the movie very particularly. There's a lot they do they that makes no it formulaic. Shirt off. 
No one took their shirt off in this. What movie are you watching? Well, uh, well, hmm, maybe things are changing a little bit in the Hallmark world. Uh, let, let, Kim, you mentioned this marks a return for Lindsay Lohan, who, when yeah. she was younger, at the turn of the 21st century, was on track to be one of the bigger stars in the world. And through addiction and mental health and through some other concerns, had to spend a little bit of time in the wilderness. What did you think of her performance in this comeback role? Well, you know, I th- you know, like it is a Hallmark movie, so she didn't have to dig too deep. But I will give her credit; she's very good at comedy. You know, like her making the bed and yeah, yeah, and the, the physical comedy, that part of it. So I, I was impressed with that. Like I don't know a lo- whole lot of her acting, but it was a bit of fun, like her get, jumping into the role of that per se. So I thought she did a, you know, cute job, like making the bed and, you know, she can't get the bed made because this is an heiress who's never had to do anything. And, <laughs> and then, you know, and being scared by a raccoon and, you know, it, yeah, I thought it was a cute movie. Kim, when I say that we are bombarded by this kind of content mm-hmm. this time of year, the data to back it up is over 40 original Hallmark Christmas movies will play between American Thanksgiving and Christmas this year, let alone the other ones, like the subsidiaries like we have on Netflix or other channels or City TV or Lifetime TV or take your pick. But strictly in the Hallmark world, there's going to be 40 different Christmas original Christmas movies. Did this one live up to your expectations or maybe stand out from the rest? expectations as in yes you know we know we're going to meet and and we're going to end up together above other movies no not per se like i didn't come out saying oh wow that was better than you know such and such i saw last year but fun predictable you know the little girl makes her christmas wish and we have someone who looks like santa claus in there but you know it's not santa claus but but you know you wonder if he has a little bit of magic and yeah it was a a fun movie, and that's what I need. You know, sometimes we are bombarded with everything that's not going right in the world, and I just need to get away. I just need to just yeah. chill out. Yeah, and so oftentimes we make you watch serial killer movies for these reviews. That, uh, that it's that it's nice to give you a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, Kim, my, my friend in Seattle is a huge fan of these movies, let alone Corinne Van Dusen and Paula Deneen. Many people in my life are huge fans of, of these kinds of movies. My friend in Seattle saw one over the weekend called, uh, let me make sure, let me make sure I get this right. Cause it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of a twist. It's okay. called a Christmas movie Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie about the Christmas movie made by the Netflix <laughs> Hallmark people. Apparently it is hilarious hilariously oh. funny well i need to check that out. and that's on netflix you're telling me I, it was on american netflix i don't know i don't know where you can find it in canada but she watched it over oh. the weekend with her friend and said they were dying laughing the whole weekend well, we need that gabe we need that uh kim how was the audio description in uh, this particular <gasps> movie in fallen for christmas well, I'm so glad we got to that because wow i think he drank from the christmas eggnog too because he was so adamant you know he <laughs> He started up, and an Auburn here woman wakes the long Auburn here with an, wearing an eye mask, and she wakes up and gets out of bed and stretches. But he, right from the get go, was that in the, the tone and the intonation. He was excited about this movie too, and I love listening to him. He was spot on with the description. So I said, hats off to whoever he was, because he did a great job. And, you know, and even, you know, and she got, and the, the raccoon frightened her, and she screamed and fell backwards, and like he was right into it. 
<laughs> well, see, so there you go. The, the the DV the DV voice can be a, can be a good character too. We like that one. Hey, Kim, oh, this is this is going to be the last time we chat with you uh, on air, live on air, before the end of the year. You join us about once a month with a review of something or other. But as you mentioned, you also enjoyed consuming quite a bit of content. What would you say is the best thing you watched this year? Whether it was a TV show, a, a movie, a documentary, what was the best thing you watched this year? And, you know, I'm going to spin that in another way. It's not so much the best thing I watched, but one of the better, you and I interacting when we talked about Woodstock, mm. that three-part series. I, like I said, Woodstock, you know, was not on my radar. I was, you know, pregnant with my first child. But having you as a young person who wished that he had been there, me watching it and finding out exactly the chaos and everything that could go wrong went wrong. So it wasn't my favorite movie, but it was one of my favorite, I guess they will say, interviews. You and I doing the report on it and, and our discussion. So definitely. Definitely still recommending folks check out Train Rock, uh, Train Wreck Woodstock 99. It was a really, really cool documentary series. And Kim, it still blows me away that I could watch that, watch it for three episodes, listen to people tell stories of developing trench mouth from drinking tainted water and still be like, yeah, I wish I was there. It just, it's like, oh my gosh. And I don't know how anyone did not die. Like, I mean, natural causes happen when you had a car accident, when everything was done, but at the event yeah. itself. Yeah, it's stunning. Holy it's totally God. stunning. Propane tanks exploding everywhere and people not dying. It's wild. Uh, Kim, we got to get out of here. But listen, all the best to you and the family over the holidays. And we look forward Me to catching too. up with you in 2023. Me too. So happy holidays. Take care. That's Kim Thistle, a film reviewer in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador with a review of the Netflix holiday Hallmark film Falling for Christmas. Coming up after the break, I will have the regional news update and Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Monday, December the 5th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Marco Flalo of Double Tap TV will discuss a new report on the digital equity gap in Canada. And Fredericton, New Brunswick homeless shelters have introduced a new advent calendar program with a twist. Ryan Dillahanty will fill you in on that story in the Atlantic Regional Report. But speaking of the regions. Let's get to the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, where a spokesperson for the BC Poultry Association says the avian flu is causing a shirky, a a turkey shortage in the province. I almost said a shirky shortage, combining words, but a turkey shortage. It has to happen because Thanksgiving and Christmas are the primary consumption events. It's like prime turkey growing season right now and it's unfortunately they are are being hit by avian influenza the Canadian Food Inspection Agency's latest data shows more than 866,000 birds have been impacted by the H5N1 strain of avian flu in the province Over to the prairies, a different kind of nature story. The head of a beekeepers association in Manitoba says this year was an especially tough one. Red River 
Apiarists Association president John Russell says a late and snowy spring killed a lot of bees this year and says it will be a honey Armageddon if there's another like it. Bob Podolsky owns Podolsky Honey Farms in Etherbit. He says he took his bees to BC over the winter to keep them in a milder climate. And over to Ontario, a bit of breaking news coming across the wire a few moments ago. The Canadian Union of Public Employees says over 70% of their 55,000 workers they represent, Ontario Education Support Workers, have voted in favour of ratifying a new deal reached with the province. The union reached that tentative deal with the Ontario government last month that averted a second strike. CUPE officials recommended members ratify the four-year pact that provides an average annual wage hike of 3.59%, and over 70% of members have voted in favour of that contract, that coming across the wire in the last couple of minutes. And finishing in Atlantic Canada, one of the country's most profitable lobster fishing areas will open for the season today after being held back by weather delays. Nova Scotia's lobster fishing area 34 extends from Shelburne County around to the southwest coast of the province. The area was slated to open for the season last Monday, but it was postponed due to storm and wind conditions. So it's lobster season for our friends in Nova Scotia. So all the best and safe sales for those of you making your way out on the water today. Let's bring in Brock Richardson. It's time for a sports chat. So Brock, you were on the beat the entirety of last week when it came to the Para World Cup, the Para Hockey World Cup, and it looks like what you predicted came to fruition over the weekend. Yes. It did. Uh, but let's start with the bronze medal game. Czech Republic wins uh, 9-0 over Italy. It just looks like, to me, Italy ran out of gas. They played a really good uh, round-robin game against Czech Republic. And then in the bronze medal game, the wheels just sort of fell off. And uh, th- these are two nations that are relatively new in the game. And so I expect uh, both nations to be better in years moving forward um then we flip over to canada versus united states uh united states wins 5-1 as i told you quite openly on friday they needed to stop brody roybal and declan farmer those two were not stopped in fact they were the only two that accounted for the united states scoring in the game uh so that is to be held true that those two are your main offensive powers. And I, I, I do have tremendous concerns regarding uh, Canada, Dave. I, I look at the way um, that they played in the gold medal game, and I just question as to whether we're not going to see a change in dominance uh, from the United States. We've seen this dominance from the United States since 2013, running through all the world championships, the Paralympic Games, and things like that. I just don't see the Canadian farm system, if you will, built the same way as the United States, and I have grave concerns over that. They uh, scored a um, goal to make it 5-1, Canada did, and their coach pulled the goalie. And I do understand the rah-rah, we scored a goal, because this was a mix between young athletes and old. Um, But uh, I just don't see them getting better, and so... 
hopefully I'm wrong, but I see United States being far and away at this point, uh, you know, better than Canada, at least for the remainder of the cycle. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase something you posted on social media over the weekend. You basically referred to the United States style of para ice hockey as relentless. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? What it is about the way they play the game that just gives other teams such fits? Yeah, they're just so much more uh, quick to the puck and they, they just seem to get there uh, before Canada does and they they are they're relentless I think it's that's the words I used on uh, social media was that they're just relentless and they are and the fact is is that Canada when they have their opportunities it's like a uh, a one and done two on one they might hit the net and you know the chance goes the other way the fact is is that USA holds such sustained pressure in in their offensive zone where Canada gets a one and done opportunity and then they're back down the ice the other way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that to me is talks about speed. It talks about style of play. We've been through three different coaches during this time period. That's all well and good. And we've tried players. I just genuinely believe that the United States farm system, as we talked about earlier in the week is so much better. Brock, I am literally sweating football out of my pores at this point after a busy weekend of conference championship games and the college games south of the border and a busy day of NFL football yesterday. I, I'm literally sweating out football. You said you have three games that stand out to you, but you refused to tell me which ones in advance because you were afraid I was going to steal your takes. So game number one that you want to talk about in an NFL recap from yesterday, what's the game? Game number uh, one would be the Miami Dolphins versus the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, I'm so mad at you. 33, I'm sorry, 33-17. Uh, listen, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo went down and Brock Purdy did an outstanding job. I love the name, by the way. You could say, I, he, did a, you could say he did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, I could have gone there, but I just chose chose not to um and so i just thought that he did he did a really good job you know um, most people when you have your backup quarterback going you see um sort of a decline there was no such decline uh i just i felt like tua yesterday had some trouble i his passes they weren't as clean as we would normally see um they just they weren't there and so uh I, I think Miami will be okay. It's fine. Um, but they just sort of had an off game uh, yesterday, and the 49ers took advantage, and they did pretty good the, uh, yesterday the, the with for, this. The 49ers really showed off the fact they're a well-rounded football team yesterday, an incredible defensive line, an incredible offensive line. They just tore Miami apart in the trenches. As you pointed out, the Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, was missing passes, which is atypical for his style of play. But the credit belongs to the 49ers. They played an exceptional game yesterday. Yesterday. And Brock Purdy for he like when, when we say the backup quarterback, he's not even the backup quarterback. He's the backup backup quarterback. That's the third string quarterback in San Francisco. He was the last pick in the NFL draft last year out of Iowa State, where, by the way, he had a really nice career at Iowa State. He was a very good quarterback in the Big 12. But he had just a remarkable day yesterday getting the ball over to his weapons. I've thought San Francisco was a smidge overrated all year. 
I'm reconsidering my position. I'm beginning to think this team may actually be a Super Bowl contender, um, but I need a little more evidence before I go that far. Yeah. Uh, game two for me uh, was Kansas City gets beat by Cincinnati. Oh, great game. 27-24, unbelievable game. Joe Burrow had a really good game uh, yesterday. Again, for some reason, Cincinnati has Kansas City's number. They've took both the last last year's games, uh, yesterday's game included in that. So the last three have been taken um, by Cincinnati, which is kind of cool. Their overall record is 18 and 14 against Kansas City. Again, I'm not really too concerned about Kansas City. I feel like they um, they're going to be okay. They're going to be right where we expect them to be. Uh, they did the Bills a little bit of a favor yesterday, as did the Miami Dolphins, as we see the Bills leading the AFC at the moment. But the Bills have some work to do in their own. And so that's the highlight that I have in that second game there as well. It's the coming from behind in the fourth quarter that Cincy's defense managed to step up and start stopping the Kansas City offense while they were outscoring points as well. The Cincinnati offense with Joe Burrow at the helm and Jamar Chase back in the wide receiver position and T. Higgins being an effective player. This Cincinnati team started the season very slowly. They had a lot of injuries. Their quarterback had a surgery right right before the season started. It looks like it's coming together and it's two years in a row that Cincinnati begins to surge down the stretch and they're going to be tough to deal with especially I don't know if this is in your next note Brock but we had the Baltimore Ravens star quarterback Lamar Jackson go down with a knee injury yesterday he could be out for days he could be out for weeks according to some of the initial reports here that opens the door to Cincinnati absolutely cruising to a division title at least hosting one home playoff game if not a couple the Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year, and I would not bet against them going to the Super Bowl again this year. They are a well-balanced, well-rounded team. Brock, game number three. Game number three is the Philadelphia Eagles. If you're not a believer in the Philadelphia Eagles, you need to be a believer. I understand they have uh, one loss and they're not undefeated at this moment, but they're just such a complete good-looking team. You know, they, they, they rolled over Tennessee 35-10 mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And their style of football is just so much fun to watch. They can do it on the ground. They can do it in the air. They can, they can do it to you in any way, shape, form at all in any circumstance. And so if you're not a believer in the Philadelphia Eagles, you best be checking them off when we get to the playoffs because – I'm really believing that they are going to be possibly, and I'm and I'm beginning to remove the word possibly, but they are going to be in that Super Bowl conversation when the time ends because they are just completely steamrolling the NFC, and mm-hmm. it's so much fun to watch. This is what begins to happen this time of year, Brock. We get to December, and we start to figure out who the actual contenders are. And right now, Philadelphia in the NFC is absolutely there. San Francisco, I'm beginning to believe in. The Dallas Cowboys, after dismantling absolutely dismantling the Colts last night, scoring over 50 points. I'm starting to believe in the Cowboys a little bit too, and maybe just a smidge of belief into the Vikings. But the NFC is definitely coming into focus, and the Eagles are the class of that conference. There's no doubt in my mind. Brock, speaking of class, we're seeing 
the giants of soccer advancing in the World Cup knockout stage. Over the weekend, we saw the Netherlands, Argentina, England, and France get through. We're seeing Brazil and Croatia in action today, Spain and Portugal tomorrow. We have the possibility of a very, very, like, world power final eight here. Brock, your reaction to some of the results from the World Cup over the weekend? For one, I I don't think I was shocked by any of the results this weekend. As you mentioned, all the powerhouses seem to have um, have advanced, and I'm assuming will continue to advance in in today's games. The, the United States, I I, I want to sort of focus on them. People were were a lot higher on the United States than I wanted to be. I don't know if that's because of the network I chose to watch and that they were kind of, you know, higher on the United States because of it being Fox. But people were really upset when I was watching the the broadcast. And I'm thinking, uh, you guys played Netherlands. Like, what uh, what's going on here? And to me, I think Netherlands is the powerhouse. Argentina, same thing. Uh, they're they're just right there with you. France, I think they're going to be right oh, there at the man, end. Man, France is good. Oh, oh boy, Kylian Mbappe, their 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 attacker, Brock. The guy has nine World Cup goals. That's as many as Lionel Messi, as many as Cristiano Ronaldo. Kylian Mbappe is only twenty three years old. Right, and I, I I did see that stat over the weekend too, which was pretty cool as well. And and listen, uh, France is always in the conversation. Again, they play such a very tough tactical game. I'm just, every time they get the ball, it's so um, methodical how they how they move it, how they handle things, and they are going to be fun to watch as time goes on. And Dave, I've got to give a shout-out to Senegal, who played a heck of a tournament. They ran up against England, who is a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. God bless Senegal for what they were able to uh, accomplish. Nobody expected them to. I expect them to be very much more mature in 2026. But God bless them for advancing to the uh, to the round of 16. Yeah, they deserve a shout out. It, Brock, you mentioned the United States, the way in which uh, perhaps people were disappointed by the outcome on Saturday morning against the Netherlands, and they they felt, oh gosh, you know, like we were better than this. You and I oftentimes will talk about the importance of expectation in the way we look at our sports teams. And the U.S. was ranked about 20th in the world going into this tournament. So it stood to reason that getting to the final 16 was about the expectation. And to go any further would have been a massive accomplishment. So it's it's always difficult, right, when we're trying to figure out what a team is, what we consider success to be. Of course, every team is going to tell you our goal was to win the championship, right? That, that's, what, that's what a team will tell you internally. But from the outside looking in, expectation is really important. And the U.S. met their expectation going into this tournament for a team that didn't go to the World Cup four years ago. They're now right back to where they want to be ahead of hosting the tournament in 2026 alongside Canada and Mexico. So I would say the Americans were probably disappointed by the results, but there is a myopia that exists whenever you watch the American broadcast of the American game or, as we discussed last week, the Canadian broadcast of a Canadian game. Yeah, there there is, and that's why when I was watching it, I was kind of looking at this going, okay, I understand the disappointment, 
but I also have to acknowledge where I'm watching this from and and what's going on. And we all have our little bit of fandom. And you're right. I think I think United States is where they where they wanted to be, where they need to be. The fact that they they qualified and and did what they had to do, I think, is the goal. Um, and we'll see how they how they represent when uh, 2026 comes along, yeah. which I am really looking forward to seeing <laughs> some of those young teams, uh, Canada included, to see how they improve uh, or not uh, mm-hmm. in four years. But we still have a bit of a road to get to on this World Cup, so we won't talk yeah, about 2026. Sure, sure do, sure yeah. do. I just, I just want to reiterate something I mentioned before, that we're already assured in the next round of a matchup between England and France. That's a great old school rivalry getting involved. Depending on the results of tomorrow's games, we could get Spain and Portugal in the round of eight, which I would love. Those teams love to play hard against each other. And we're trending towards the possibility of a semifinal matchup between Argentina and Brazil. Sign me up for that, too. So we have the possibility of a couple real marquee matchups here in the next 10 days. And that's what I'm on board for. I'm on here for the giants of football colliding with one another in the desert of Qatar. Brock, we got to get out of here. But thank you for this, sir. Have a great day. You as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. World Cup coverage continues on TSN right now, which I'm telling you if you switch the channel i will come to your house and throw your tv out the window you're going to watch till the end of the show and then you can watch the second half of the game between croatia and japan and then 2 p.m eastern time today on tsn you have korea and brazil which should be a good one but don't you dare change the change the channel and frankly at 2 p.m eastern time you should be listening to kelly and company so you know maybe maybe watch it on repeat or just wait for me and brock to talk about the games that, that, that's how you should do these things. Let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather updates. You always got to support the uh, now with Dave Brown team and show first, right, Dave? So yeah, TSN, TSN doesn't need your eyeballs. Exactly, we do. So here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy and a chance of snow this morning, but then it is clearing up later in the day. The high is zero, but with a wind chill of minus eight. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny and a high of one. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny as well, but turning into a mix of sun and clouds later, and the high there is four. To Quebec City, Quebec, It's cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning, but then it will turn to a mix of sun and clouds later in the day. The high is three, but it feels like minus seven. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is five, but feeling like minus 10. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds and there's wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. Two is the high there. Over to Brandon, Manitoba. It's a mix of sun and clouds and possible snow with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 15, but feeling like minus 29. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible snow as well. The high is minus 17 and feeling like minus 28 with that wind chill. In Lethbridge, Alberta, there's snow expected throughout the day today. The high is minus eight, but with that wind chill, it'll feel like minus 17. Over to Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and now turn into snow later. The wind gusts are there up to 50 kilometers per hour and minus 10 is the high, but with the wind chill, it's minus 23. 
up to Whitehorse, Yukon, where it's mainly sunny. The high is minus 10, but it's feeling like minus 25. Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy. The high is minus 8, but feeling like minus 13. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny again this morning and a high of 2. But the wind chill is still going to be a factor as it feels more like minus 9. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Mark Aflalo will discuss a new report on Canada's digital equity gap. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A report from Deloitte suggests that the digital equity gap continues to grow in Canada. For his perspective on this, let's bring in Mark Flalo, the host of Double Tap TV, which you can find on AMI-tv Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Mark. Morning, Dave. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to hang out with you yet again, my friend. So, Mark, let's start here. When they say digital equity gap, what do they mean by that? Yeah, this is an interesting one. A digital equity gap in in this study refers to basically access to Internet equally across the country between uh, everybody, regardless of race, uh, any orientation, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're finding, obviously, is that there's a significant difference between those who can succeed in the digital world and those who cannot. And the gap is unfortunately not getting smaller. So who are some of the individuals or some of the groups that are impacted by this gap? So um, obviously, if you think about it, you've got uh, indigenous people, people in the 2SLGBTQ plus community, uh, racialized communities, uh, recent immigrants, people with disabilities, lower income households, senior and seniors and women. So beyond who, why is this happening? What are some of the reasons for the inequity? The, the major reason comes down to income equality and, uh, you know, access to high speed Internet obviously costs money and that is directly related to income. For every one megabyte of download and upload speed, the study finds that you need to have a household income of a, an additional twenty five hundred dollars oh annually. Gosh. Yeah, that's a pretty significant number when you look at the, the, you know, in terms of what it is across the board, especially in a lot of communities and low-income communities where obviously even the infrastructure doesn't even support it. So that's unfortunately the reason that they're finding. So what are some of the solutions here? As you've identified, cost is obviously a big one, but some of this is infrastructural as well. Yeah, it's definitely infrastructure, and and what the what is what this comes down to at the end of the day is that there's lots of conversation going on about this. You know, the CRTC is our governing body in Canada that regulates the internet and decides what kind of funding goes where. And when it comes to conversations about this, they sit down at the table, and they're normally sitting down with the big telcos, you know, the Rogers, Bellows, and Telus of, Telus of the world. And while they have conversations about issues like this, they're not necessarily bringing to the table um, the smaller internet service providers. Not only that, but the actual communities that are affected don't have a seat at the table as well. So if you don't have a seat at the table, how can you actually bring up these issues and find resolutions that actually make sense? So 
what they're suggesting here and the, the result of this survey is that they need to bring more people to the table to have real meaningful conversations about what the solutions are, the realistic solutions are, and things that they can implement right away, as opposed to saying, okay, here's our 10-year plan to get infrastructure to where you are. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is technology is advancing, and the ability to get higher speeds to different communities is a little bit easier than it was maybe five, 10 years ago. So if they had a seat at the table and they were able to uh, properly articulate what their issues are, then there may be opportunities for other people to get involved and say, listen, we have a potential solution. We could beam this in via satellite. We can you know, use existing infrastructure to beef that up. There are lots of different opportunities there and possibilities, but people need the seat at the table to be able to be heard. Right. For all the bad press that Elon Musk has taken inside the last couple of uh, months with the acquisition of Twitter, the fact is something like Starlink did launch in earnest this year in Canada to some pretty good results from people who've used the product. Absolutely. And that's, you know, a potential solution right there. Now, granted, the cost of Starlink is not necessarily um, uh, one that is, is easy to attain. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. there are opportunities for the government perhaps to subsidize some of those costs if that's the only way to get the service in there. Right. If yeah, other like what's, you know, what's, people are what, blocking each other, then it's hard. You know? Right. What What's the cost vis-a-vis -vis it would actually take to build that infrastructure, building roads and putting poles and running wire? Like what would that cost the government if they have to subsidize that? Exactly. And you got to take that and look at that in column number one, then look at the cost of, I don't know, for example, Starlink or what other solutions might be. And there's probably a, a low cost effective way to bring Internet to those communities. If you look at our country, we, we have an incredible amount of land in our country and we are connected across the board. You look at Nunavut, you look at places that you, you haven't even, aren't able to pronounce. They have Internet access in some way, shape or form. So it is possible to get that service there. The question is how and who's going to pay and who's going to put the bill at the end of the day. Yeah, and it, it's it's so funny because, not funny, I, I don't mean to think of this as humorous, but that, that's a yeah. word I like to use because sometimes we have to laugh at the world and not cry at it. But it, it, it really strikes me that a lot of times people will think about this conversation in the context of Nunavut or the Northwest Territories or Northern Saskatchewan yeah. or Northern Ontario. But the fact is, between Ottawa and Montreal, it might as well be a telecom dead zone for about 100 yeah. kilometers, which which is stunning, right? Like these are two of the biggest cities in the country with lots of communities in between, and it's a telco dead zone. You know what? I, I literally drove back from Gatineau yesterday, so just across the water from Ottawa to Montreal, and experienced that along the way. Wondering, and I was on on a different highway, not the 417, which is a very populated area. Highway 50. Highway 50, and you drive through barren land, and I'm like, oh my god, there's no lights here. There's nothing going on here for for kilometers at a time, and this is in my backyard. This is not even 45 minutes away from me. And until you hit Mirabelle, which is, you know, about 25 minutes outside of Montreal, you get nothing. So, yeah, these things are happening and access to, to digital infrastructure is happening for our neighbors, people who are literally down the street a couple of kilometers away. So there needs to be something here that, that solves this. And, and there is technology now that can do this in a way that isn't going to break the bank for everybody. So they, yeah. uh, there's got to be a solution here that yeah. everybody 
agrees upon. Like part of it certainly is, yeah, just giving individuals access to these things in their homes on their own devices. That's certainly part of it. But it's also about investments in public libraries, right? We like saying that we're going to find totally. places to give people this access, not just sort of internet cafes. I, I don't know if internet cafes are still a thing, but <laughs> but largely saying, hey, we need to make sure public libraries have operating hours that are from say like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. Yeah. to 10 p.m. so that people can get access to these things, at least as a building block, as a starting point. Yeah, that's a starting point. It gives them somewhere to go to at least have access to it so they can be on equal footing with people who are, are just literally kilometers away. And, and, and there, there's no excuse for that not to exist in 2022 going into 2023. Yeah. It's just it's just ridiculous. Public Wi-Fi networks, right? Like, again, we can think about the totally. equity, equityest people in remote areas, but we can also think about public Wi-Fi, good public, good, safe public Wi-Fi. You know, in, in the U.S. and in Europe, there are people who will set up Internet service providers for their own neighborhoods, people who know that they can get fiber optic into their house but know that people down the street can't. So they'll set up a wireless network. We have a lot of regulations that stop us from doing that in, in North America. So, uh, you know, if, if we took that model, you know, and just look at how regular, you know, citizens can say, hey, I want to do something and help my community. If we were able to do that, if the government didn't stop us from doing that, I think we'd have way more access to it. Mm. Hey, Mark, we really appreciate your perspective on this story. This is the last time that we're going to speak live on air this year as the show's taken a little bit of a hiatus while we test some new equipment and test out a new studio ahead of a relaunch on January the 9th. But if we don't get a chance to talk between now and then, Mark, all the best over the holidays to you and the family. Thank you, Dave. Same to you guys and everybody at home. That's Mark Aflalo. He is one of the hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we'll have a roundtable chat with Nazreen and Alex. I want to know what makes for a great restaurant experience. I had a couple good ones over the weekend. So we'll talk about that on Now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of running out of days where I'm going to socialize very freely. I'm going to try to put myself in a little bit of a self-imposed lockdown ahead of the holiday season so I don't uh, bring any of these diseases that are floating around to my family back in Ottawa. So that means I'm trying to pack in a whole bunch of stuff here. And over the weekend, went out for a couple meals. Some friends came in from Ottawa, took my buddy Tripper out for his birthday. It was lovely. Went out last Friday night to a new tequila bar in uh, the North York area, not far from the office. Had a couple of really nice meals over the weekend. One of my observations is that fonts on menus are getting smaller or I'm getting blinder. And I'm pretty sure it's the former not the latter. Man, they're making these menus with very small fonts these days. Pretty tough to read. However, had a really nice experience at both these restaurants because of some different factors. Some of it was accessibility, some of it was service, and some of it was just excellent food. So the core question that I'm going to pose to Alex Smythe and Jeff Ryman is what makes 
for a great dining out experience, a great restaurant experience. Alex, I'm going to bring you in on this one first. I'll tell you, both places that I went to on the weekend, a huge element of it was simply just the servers being great communicators, telling you about specials, answering your questions, even giving you some advice about what you can do to uh, make your order even better, admittedly, with uh, adding things on that's going to cost you more money. But I really enjoyed very communicative servers on the weekend that were just helping me tantalize my taste buds. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, for me, Dave, I would say service is probably number two on on my list for uh, the most important – for me, at the end of the day, the food has to be able to speak for itself. You could have all the other great elements of everything else around you being great, but if the food is not good, well, then that's not a good dining experience because that's my my number one goal when I go out to eat. I want to have good food, and I want to be in, in a good environment. So I, I've had some great ser- uh, service the last uh, couple times I, I've been out and, and been to different places, but... Um, and I, I, I think I may know that certain tequila bar you are are referring to there. And, you know, it's a, they, the service there is phenomenal. But I, I agree. I've noticed, especially ever since I've gotten my, um, my, surgery, my eye surgery done, and I have to wear different kind of prescription glasses and, and things like that, it's becoming harder and harder for me to read the menus in, in smaller print as well. And it's just like, I, I almost have to just resort to, okay, pull out the phone, take a photo of it. Yep. Okay, now I can yep. blow it up on my phone so I'm able to read it. Um, I think part of that is there's a lot more of what I've noticed is being mood lighting in different restaurants. So it's, you know, it's a bit darker, you know, it's a bit more uh, focus, focused where the lighting is. So it's not as bright, so making it harder to read as well. But uh, yeah, I think there's something to that bringing back menus and then bringing them back in small fonts because it would have worked fine on digital uh, platforms and, and through your phone. But to actually print it out, it can be kind of hard to read. So this tequila bar in question, one of the things the servers did was bring out a tray of hot sauces at one point during the meal. And he took the time to walk us through every single hot sauce. He would pull it out of the tray. He would like show it very explicitly. He would put it down near me and tell me precisely what it was or how it would work relative to the rest of the meal. And again, that that may just be part of the training, but it's not often that a server will walk you through your condiment options like that. And it really accelerated or, or, or accentuated my experience because now I knew exactly what I was working with as I was decorating my taco. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that you can get that, um, you know, that personal touch that so you feel it's like, okay, they're here more. They, they want to make sure I'm enjoying my meal to the best of uh, of of the experience. And whereas, you know, you get some places, they'll just kind of quietly just like drop it down and walk away. And there's no explanation. It's like, oh, you have to kind of figure it out yourself. So it's those little added touches where it's just like, yes, okay, I want to support not only this server the staff but this restaurant because i think they're doing it right so i bet you you're much more likely to go back there a second time a third time because of that impression that it left with you the having that great service Mm -hmm. and 
probably good food and drinks too. And let me tell you this one too, and then we'll bring in Jeff Ryman for his thoughts on this as well. The place that I went on Saturday, right when I checked in, right when I spoke with the hostess as she was bringing me to the table, she says, hey, just FYI, the bathroom is just to your left over here if you need this later in the evening. And I'm like, I think that's one of the first times ever as somebody was seating me, they said, here is where the bathroom is relative to where you are. And that may sound like a really small thing, but the number of times I've wandered around a place looking for a bathroom in kind of embarrassing fashion, uh, can't count the number of times that happens. I was so impressed that just the simple little gesture of saying, hey, FYI, about 20 feet to your left is where the bathroom is. I was like, that's phenomenal. That's just great work. Yeah. Let's bring in Jeff Ryman on this one. Jeff, what makes for a great dining out experience for you? Yeah, I think you guys have both hit it. Food and the service are 1A, 1B. The food typically at most restaurants, I want to say at least the restaurants that I've been to are usually good, but the service is what really elevates it from a good to a great or an excellent restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you want both of those. The price, uh, obviously now, you know, money's a little bit tight for some yes, folks. Yes, Um, You may want to look at the menu beforehand, get a gauge of those <laughs> you prices. Were, you were living the good life on the variable rate mortgage for a little bit, but now you're <laughs> yeah. living the bad life on yeah. the variable rate mortgage. Yeah, I know. A little bit risky here, but uh, yeah, so before I go to a restaurant, you know, unless I know the restaurant, I will take a look at the prices just to just to see, you know, how much I'm going to be spending, or if I have gift cards for said oh, location, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could be uh, beneficial as well. But another thing that I always um, look for at a restaurant is the cleanliness. If it's a dirty looking restaurant, why would I want to eat there? It's like some grungy looking, you know, all, half the lights are broken or out. If I or, wanted to eat somewhere dirty, <laughs> I did. I did at Dave Brown's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. My own kitchen. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. My kitchen's pretty clean. Mine's but dirty. I think the cleanliness <laughs> factor, even just in the washrooms too, you know, sometimes there are certain things that sort of raise those red flags. And yeah, so service and food are good, but the cleanliness, I think I really take into account as well. Let me ask you guys this one, because there's one particular pub that I spend a lot of time at around the office. And I will tell you for a fact, their tables and chairs are so uncomfortable. The only reason I go there is because of proximity and because I know the staff now. A couple of the places that I went this weekend, the chairs and tables were just so perfectly designed. They were comfortable. They were wide enough for a wide-bodied gentleman like myself. They could slide right underneath the table. So, like, you felt like your arms and hands were at a comfortable at a comfortable setting, a comfortable height. I, even, the, even the sports bar that I went to later on on Saturday night, just the chairs and booth were just so beautifully designed that it was – comfortable to be there. Jeff, how much do you factor in just the comfort of the seating and the table in the way you evaluate a place? Yeah, I value it. I wouldn't say it's necessarily at the top of my list, um, but definitely something to consider depending on how long you're there for. I mean, if you're there for breakfast, usually me and my wife, if we go to breakfast, we're there for like half an hour, 45 minutes. I can tough out yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a wonky chair. Give me for, the eggs and the potatoes and the coffee and then I'm out of here. That's it. But I mean, if you're going to be there for 
I mean, Christmas parties are, are right around the corner, if not have already started. If you're there for a prolonged period of time, you want to be comfortable because, you know, if your back starts hurting or your legs can't be stretched out or if you're way too high or way too low in the chair or the table is a mess, um, you know, it, it, it really could uh, have a, a negative factor uh, on mm-hmm. certain things. So, and also, I, I don't like when tables are so close together Ugh. or, Ugh. you know, you, you push your chair back to, to leave the table and you bang into somebody else who's sitting on the table behind you. I want a, a, you know, a nice clean space where it's like, okay, here's my group. Your group can have their space over there. <laughs> Hopefully we don't mix and mingle. I don't want you to wander over here or bump into my table. And that's also good for accessibility too. Alex, last thought going to you. How how much do you factor in the comforts of a place, whether it's the chairs, the tables? Uh, you mentioned the lighting before. I'm I'm also team, like mm-hmm. let's have good lighting in places. Uh, but what what's, what's your reaction to the uh, sort of comfort of chair and table? Yeah, I agree with Jeff where I it's a factor, but it's not going to be a limiting factor for me. I think it will just change how long am I going to plan to be at the restaurant. If, if the food and everything else in service is is still worth going, I'm going to go there. A, a, a bad chair or seating is not going to stop me. It just may limit that, okay, it's going to be more I want to eat this really good food and then get out so I'm not sitting in the same uncomfortable chair for like an hour and a half or something like that. Uh, but that said, it's like, yeah, I, I'm never going to dismiss a place just because I don't like how the, the tables are or the chairs are uncomfortable or wonky or this or that. Like to me, if the food's good, if the service is good, Hey, you know, I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of justify the rest of the things with the meal. Very good guys. I appreciate both your perspectives on this one. You may have noticed there's no Rumya here today, but there is an episode of Kelly and company coming your way at 2 PM Eastern time on AMI audio. It's Monday, which means Daniel McLaughlin stops by for a know your rights segment. Got a really interesting one lined up today as Danielle will be talking about some of the issues surrounding the emergencies act and the emergencies act inquiry. You're a, very familiar with that story if you've been tuned into this show throughout the course of the year. Kelly and Company comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Fredericton Homeless Shelters have introduced a new advent calendar with a special twist. Ryan Delahanty will fill you in on that story. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I told you at the top of the show, lobster fishing season underway in Nova Scotia. That's not why we're talking to Ryan Delahanty today for the Atlantic Regional Report, but it's worth keeping in mind that the fishermen are working hard out there on the waters today. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Morning, Dave. How are you today? I'm well. Nice to chat with you, Ryan. You've got a couple stories here, and one of the first ones is about dementia and driving. There have been a couple media reports digging into the balance between personal autonomy and public safety. The Dementia Roadmap website is highlighted in some of the media that's been going around recently. What's the purpose behind the Dementia Roadmap website? So much like how people who drink and drive struggle to gauge their own level of intoxication, uh, it can be incredibly tricky for anyone diagnosed with dementia to accurately determine when it's no longer safe for them to continue driving. 
And in a place like PEI, where there's little traffic, many lonely rural roads, it's easy to underestimate the danger to others and think maybe it's only your life you're putting at risk if uh, the call is a little bit questionable. And so uh, people do often mourn the loss of their driver's license more than the dementia diagnosis itself, as it can dramatically decrease one's independence and really have a major impact on your daily routine. Um, it's been known for patients to get very upset. Some may try to game the medical system by firing their family doctor that raised the issue in the first place. And uh, it can be a very awkward subject for families to broach uh, oh, something yeah. if you want to talk about, especially if you're maybe just catching up with an older relative over the holidays. How many eggnogs? Do I take your keys? Um, and so two doctors with decades of experience in gerontology hope that their Driving and Dementia Roadmap website will make this process easier, both for those with dementia and those trying to help them. It, it, it's, as you mentioned, a very complicated question that medical professionals and families are grappling with, much in the same way that we're, that we're trying to figure out when somebody could move out of their home or should move out of their home into a more living facility it's 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 a very very complex question loaded with potholes so how does this particular roadmap work the website's organized to guide people through the process uh, of a decision to stop driving from the perspective of healthcare providers, family or friends, or the person, person with dementia. Through a series of questions, patients and the people close to them can learn to identify the signs that the disease is beginning to impair driving. These would be things like uh, difficulty staying in your lane or maintaining a constant speed, trouble with left-hand turns. Somebody may start slowing down at a green light, though they recognize they're at a traffic signal they're slower to process whether the light is green or red. Uh, geriatrician Gary Nagley told CBC Island Morning host Laura Chapin that driving is one of the most cognitively demanding things that any one of us do on a very regular basis. Uh, dementia is often in moderate to severe stages when first diagnosed, and they find that driving skills are impacted even in mild cases. So once you're diagnosed, it's it's probably already having a, a significant impact. And the hope is that by involving the patient more in the process, this website can make that decision easier, help ease the emotional toll involved in recognizing there is an emotional side to all of this, and uh, also help to get dangerous drivers off the road sooner. Drivinganddementia.ca, drivinganddementia.ca is the website. Ryan, are there any other resources that you suggest people look into? That seems to be the primary one. They do also uh, have a live event coming up this Thursday, and that's being hosted by iJerryCare with the creators of the app. So that's a great opportunity for folks to learn more, probably ask any questions you may have. And the easiest way to find that event is by visiting their website, iJerryCare.healthhq.ca, and then go to their events section for that upcoming Driving and Dementia Roadmap live stream. And that'll be Thursday, December 8th, at 1 p.m. Eastern to Atlantic over YouTube streaming. Ryan, because this is the last week of live broadcast before we take an extended holiday hiatus to uh, launch a new studio and a new control room, I find myself saying goodbye and happy holidays to a lot of folks in the segments uh, today and this week in general. So you've got one last holiday-related story out of a uh, homeless shelters in Fredericton, New Brunswick that are trying to do something a little bit different with advent calendars. So what are they doing? Uh, Fredericton Homeless Shelters are reaching out to the public looking for donations of reverse advent calendars for the holidays. Unlike your usual 25 daily treats leading up to Christmas, a reverse advent calendar is empty at the start of December. And then every day, a small item like a snack or toiletry is added. Then for Christmas, the shelters will distribute these to uh, people in need through various community organizations.
So is is there a is there an example that another jurisdiction is using on this front, or is this a totally original idea? The person that was interviewed by CBC New Brunswick, uh, Vanessa Foss, who is project manager at Fredericton's Homeless Shelters, said this is the first year that they've been offering something like this, doing the reverse advent calendar program, um, and that shelters are always looking for more ways to get people involved in giving back. And once they put this idea out there, they got instant traction from the community and uh, really started to take off. Uh, I have seen some similar projects like this over the years. Uh, for AMI this week, our bureau team in Halifax had done a story on the Halifax Shoebox Project for women's shelters. Um, CBC traced the advent calendar concept back to Calgary-based food writer Julie Van Rosendahl and her son, who have completed a reverse advent calendar every year since 2015. For them, they take two empty wine boxes, which have 12 empty compartments each, add a new gift every day before Christmas. And these are uh, boxes that held wine bottles, just in case you think you need to chug two boxes of wine in order to participate. (laughs) And uh, they love the concept as you don't need to have a lot of money yourself to give back. Simple things like socks, underwear, toothbrushes, small items you might pick up at the dollar store or while grocery shopping can be a tremendous help. Yeah, even uh, things like a pack of gum. Uh, you talk to some folks, they'll say it can make a huge, huge difference. Uh, Ryan, you may have just shared a couple tips there, but any any advice on some of the media you've consumed here about uh, folks putting together their own box or putting together their own advent calendar? Uh, They said that uh, in Fredericton, they were encouraging the community to drop off these completed reverse advent calendars at the shelters on Christmas Eve, as the holidays are always a time of celebration at the shelters. Uh, But in Calgary, Van Rosendahl said that uh, she's not in a rush to drop it off on Christmas Eve. There is a a need year-round, especially in sort of the drop-off that many people experience after the holidays. So, you know, get started on the wine or repurpose another box or container, and don't sweat if it's not done before Santa makes his rounds it'll still be appreciated after boxing day or in 2023 yeah the need is a year round no doubt about that one so uh, not trying to just focus yourself on december 24th can uh, take a little bit of stress off your shoulders and maybe even be uh, beneficial to some of the shelters to make those donations in uh, january or february elsewhere in the year uh, ryan i'm going to leave you with this our daily poll question at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook we have folks flocking to the mauna loa volcanic eruption in Hawaii as tourists. Ryan, as a tourist, would you visit an active volcano? Uh, maybe. It depends on how content I am in my proper life. I might risk it. Uh, I don't know if it would be a huge draw for me if I'm happy and doing well. I might. There's a lot of other places on my list, but uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> a little closer to no. A little closer to no <laughs> on that one. Uh, Ryan, all the best to you and yours over the holidays and hope you guys enjoy uh, some a safe lobster fishing season out there as it gets opened up in Nova Scotia. And we'll talk to you, sir, in 2023. Thank you. Take care, Dave. That's Ryan Delahanty, a content development specialist for AMI based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's a lot of time we have for the show today, but we'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.